Well, this evening we uh, return to the Beatitudes and uh, we come to the sixth of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, where Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So we're going to think about the heart and the, the place of the heart in Christian faith, because Christian faith has to do with the heart. It's something internal. And uh, the word in the Greek is cardia. You can work out the links with the English in that. It speaks about the heart as the seat of the inner self, uh, drawing together the life, the soul, the mind, the spirit. And it's particularly the focus on our thinking and our understanding. And uh, Jesus is saying that there's blessing, there's true happiness for those who are pure in heart. Uh, his was a, a tainted world. Ours is a, a tainted world. But he's saying that purity is blessed, especially when it is heart purity. One of the great temptations in the first century and also in the 21st century is to externalize religion. To have a religion which has to do simply with the outward, with that which is seen, with that which we do. And in the New Testament, the Pharisees were experts in external religion. Uh, later in this gospel, Jesus warned the people when he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. That's the temptation. Just doing things to be seen by people. Concentrating exclusively on the external. And uh, often the Pharisees took issue with Jesus because of the things that he and his disciples did which were not in keeping with their traditions. Uh, that's not God's teaching, but the rules that they had made up, which they sought to keep themselves, and which they insisted others did too. And uh, one of the things that they took issue with Jesus and his disciples was that they didn't wash their hands before they ate. Now, that wasn't a matter of washing your hands to be clean. It was a, a ritual, religious washing, ceremonial washing. And uh, Jesus and his disciples didn't do that, and they were troubled about it. And uh, Jesus replied, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? He said, you're putting your traditions above the word of God. And he quoted the Corban teaching, where they said, you didn't have to honor your father and mother if you dedicated what you would have given to them to God. And uh, he said that was nullifying the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And uh, then he said this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So it's possible to conform outwardly in every way, to be impeccable outwardly, and yet our hearts to be far from God. And he's really saying there's no, there's no blessing in external religion. All false religions have got to do with the external, with the things you do, the things you must do. 
that the Christian faith, true religion, is concerned with the heart, the inside of the person of you and me. And of course, that's where our problem comes, because all of us suffer from a spiritual heart disease. Our our physical heart may be healthy, but inside we've got this disease of the heart, of the inner self. Uh, Because every one of us has been born with a sinful nature. Sin is not just things that we do, but it arises from what we are by our very nature. Uh, We're told that God created mankind in his likeness. But then sin entered the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And later, uh, they had a son. And uh, his name was Seth. Uh, And we're told very simply that this son was in Adam's likeness, no longer in the likeness of God in the sense of being pure and righteous and holy, but having this sinful nature that Adam had and which he passed on and we pass on. We receive it from our parents, they pass it on to us. And it's a a serious condition, a very serious condition. And sometimes it leads to an excess of sinfulness. There's always sin, but sometimes it becomes extreme. So in in Noah's day, before the flood came, in which there was a judgment on all mankind, we have these uh, solemn words uh, in Genesis, a description of how God saw the world. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Isn't that a terrible statement? Only evil all the time. But where did it come from? from the heart. So the prophet Jeremiah says that our hearts are deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And so in this whole matter of of the heart, we've got this problem of a a sinful heart. And it's, it's from our heart come the sinful actions which every one of us commits. Uh, Jesus was uh, told that uh, you need to be careful what you eat and whether you wash your hands before you eat ceremonially. And he said this, he challenged the teaching and the, he said, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. He said all these traditions, all these rules about washing your hands and, and so on. He says they, they don't really deal with the root of our problem. Because he says it's what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils, Jesus said, come from inside. They come from the heart and they defile the person. I wonder if you ever looked or perhaps seen a photograph of somebody who has been accused of the most terrible crime. And you look at them and you think that there's no indication, is there, that they would be the kind of person who would do those things. But they have. Why have they done those things? Well, it's because of the heart. Uh, because of the sinful nature and all the things, or that terrible list of sins, of the things that arise out of the human heart. 
And, and so before we are regenerated, given a new heart, a new life by God, our hearts are hard and they're unclean. This word pure has the sense of being clean, a clean heart. Now, when Stephen was testifying to the Jews of his day, he said that they were stiff-necked people. And he said, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. They haven't been cleansed. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And so there's this great problem of our hearts, our sinful hearts. And uh, outward religion just doesn't touch that at all. It doesn't change us at all. That's why Jesus uses the word hypocrite of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, because they're pretending to be something that they're not, because they're simply emphasizing the external. And God's great command to his people, and indeed to all mankind, is that we should love him from the heart. We should truly love him. Uh, He gave this command to Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. We've sung a number of hymns tonight which have spoken about loving God with our hearts, hearts that are clean, hearts that are pure. And uh, God wants the love of our poor hearts. He doesn't want us just to go through religious exercises. There are times when he tells his people in the Old Testament, I'm not interested in your sacrifices, as if just keeping the law and offering sacrifices pleases me. I want to know what's going on in your heart. I want the love of your heart. And it's a great challenge, isn't it, to us. When Barnabas went down to Antioch to see the Gentiles who had become Christians, they were new Christians, and he was thrilled when he saw the grace of God he was glad. And then he, we're told this, he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And Barnabas was a son of encouragement. And he's saying to them, you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now stand firm in that. Remain true to it with all your hearts. And there are times, aren't there, when we're doing something perhaps uh, when we were in school and the teacher would say, well, you're not really putting your heart into this, are you? Or perhaps you're playing a game and your heart isn't in it. And, and Barnabas says to them, I want you to be wholehearted, all out for the Lord, to remain true to him with all your heart. Because heart purity matters. It's essential to fellowship with God. Psalm 24 talks about the Lord's universal sway. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Then he asks this question, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord. You see, the same thing that our Lord is saying, blessed are the pure in heart. Who can stand in the presence of God? Clean hands. That is, the things we've done are pleasing to God. But also heart purity, a pure heart. In Psalm 73, where the psalmist is struggling uh, with the problems and troubles of life that he's experiencing, and others are too, He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are 
pure in heart. It's a great challenge, isn't it, to, to us. It's only too easy, isn't it, to go through the motions, to do the right things, to, to be in the right place at the right time and so on, and to appear to others, uh, to be doing everything right. But the battle's inside, isn't it? The battle's in the heart. Is our heart clean? Is our heart pure? That's where sin, that's, that's where it attacks us. That's where the devil attacks us, in the very heart of our, our being and who we are. And that's why it's wonderful that in the Old Testament, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, uh, God gave a wonderful promise through, first of all, the prophet Ezekiel. And he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. A heart of stone doesn't feel anything. A heart of flesh does. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's what's going to happen, he says, when the Messiah comes. It's a prophetic word. A new heart and a new spirit. And perhaps there are times when we cry out, we want to have that new heart to be renewed, to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. And again, Jeremiah, he too speaks of this new covenant and the blessings that it brings. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put their law, in their, my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. But, but God writes his law upon our hearts. And upon our minds. That's what happens when we're born again of God's spirit. The desire to please God comes from the very depth of our being. Outward conformity, outward religion cannot satisfy us. Uh, The newest Christian who may not have been massively instructed in the Old Testament scriptures, just just like the, uh, the believers, the Gentile believers were, but they've got this new nature. They've just got this new desire for God and to live for him and to please him. And that was spoken of by the prophets. It was going to be one of the signs uh, of the new age which would come when the Messiah arrived. And uh, there were promises to them too. Uh, Jeremiah uh, was the weeping prophet speaking to a people who were heading for exile and for judgment. But there were wonderful promises too in his prophecy. And one promise was to those who wholeheartedly seek after God. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's a word, isn't it, to any who are not Christians. One of the reasons you're not a Christian is because you haven't sought me with all your heart. You're half-hearted. Because God is saying, if you really mean it, if you want to find peace with me, then you will find me. He's not difficult to find. Indeed, he's made a way for us to come into his presence and to have fellowship with him. And again, you see, it's a matter of the heart, the whole being, because that's what God wants from us, uh, the love of our poor hearts. And wonderfully, what he does in the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel is to, to open our hearts. It's a heart surgery, 
that he does. And he gives us a new heart by his spirit and through his word. He shows us, first of all, the, the state of our hearts. You know, before you know, we're Christians, we, we do sin. We sin often, but, but we're not troubled by it. We're not convicted by it. And perhaps we say, well, everybody sins, don't they? And I'm just one of them. I'm just like everybody else. But when God begins to show us the state of our hearts, we experience conviction. And often it comes through the Bible, through reading the word of God or hearing the word of God. In the letter to the Hebrews, we're told, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It's not unusual to hear somebody speaking about how they became a Christian. And they said, you know, I, I felt the preacher knew me. It's as if God knew me, knew my thoughts, knew my thinking. Why is that? Well, it's because God's word is living and active. It, it penetrates the heart and it brings conviction of sin. And it shows us what we are really like in all its clarity. And, and what we see, we, we don't like. But it's the work of God's spirit. Uh, many years ago, the Evangelical Movement Wales started outdoor camps. They called them adventure camps. And uh, it was very basic indeed. And I remember hearing that the, uh, the man who ran them uh, decided that the boys needed to tidy their hair in the, in the morning. So he, he let them look into the hubcap of his car uh, to see how they looked. Well, when you look in a hubcap, you don't get a very clear image. And you might think you look quite tidy until you actually you look into a mirror. And that's what the word of God is. It's a mirror. And it shows us our sin. Could you remember times when that has happened? Not only when you first became a Christian, perhaps, but since. I think often deep conviction comes later. And uh, throughout our lives, and we're troubled because of of the state of our hearts and uh, the fact that we seem powerless to do anything about it. Our hearts aren't clean. They aren't pure. We aren't knowing the blessing of God. But God can give a new heart. He can open the heart to the truth. That's what he does when we seek him with all our hearts. He, he opens our hearts. Remember that lady in Philippi, Lydia, a wealthy lady, a successful businesswoman, and she was meeting with other ladies by the riverside when Paul and Silas came. And uh, she was a worshipper of God. In other words, she was one of those people, Gentile people, who recognized in the Jewish people the truth about God. And, and uh, she linked herself with believing Jewish women because she was seeking after God. She wanted to know him. And uh, one day, one Sabbath day, Paul and Silas came and they began to tell them the ladies, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And you have this lovely phrase concerning Lydia, the Lord opened her heart. He opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So that's the wonderful thing, isn't it, about the gospel. Our hearts are open. We see our sin, but at the same time we see that wonderful provision which God has made for our sin. It's only when we realize that we are ill that we go to a doctor. 
Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Those uh, who are well don't need a doctor, but those who are sick. And uh, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we know we're sick and we need a savior. And we need him urgently and we need him now. And that's what happened to Lydia. Uh, She was a respectable lady, perhaps. She was someone who was seeking after God. And then wonderfully, her heart was opened to God. Has that happened to you? Has your heart been opened to God? in order to believe the gospel. And uh, he's done a wonderful thing. He's, he's given you a new heart, and it's a pure heart. It's a clean heart. Again, in the letter of the Hebrews, there are a number of exhortations, and one of them is this. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. When we draw near to God, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, our hearts are sprinkled and we're cleansed from a guilty conscience. Sometimes Christians are troubled by a guilty conscience. That sense that we have failed, that we have sinned, we've fallen short and we do. And the only thing we can do when that happens is to to go to the Saviour and confess our sin and ask him to cleanse us anew. One of our hymns says, Jesus, my great high priest, offered his blood and died. My guilty conscience seeks no sacrifice beside. His powerful blood did once atone and now it pleads before the throne. You know, Christians can become careless and sloppy and backslidden in our living. And uh, we become tarnished and stained. And we lose that sense of wanting to have clean hands and a pure heart. But the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Because wonderfully, God restores broken-hearted Christians who have fallen into sin. There are a number of examples in the scriptures. Perhaps one of the best known is, is David, who, who really sinned very seriously indeed. It cost the life of Uriah, and uh, it cost the reputation of David, uh, because he uh, killed Uriah and then married his wife, having committed adultery with her. And David writes a psalm about it when he's convicted, when the, the prophet Nathan comes and shows him what he's done. And uh, David says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Have you known that time, that time of failure? Perhaps only you and the Lord know about it. Um, But you were broken, broken hearted by it. As God showed you your sin, you were overwhelmed with your sense of failure. And, And David once Nathan spoke to him, realized he faced up to what he's done. He'd done. He knew what he'd done. He tried to pretend and to act as if nothing had happened, but now he sees it. And so he says, I'm not going to simply go and take a sacrifice. What animal do I have to offer? And I'll do it. And then if everything will be sorted out, he said, no, no. God's interested in my heart. I could offer a sacrifice, but God wants my heart to be broken and my heart to be contrite. Contrition is godly sorrow. 
It's not fear of consequences, it's sadness because we have offended God. As Christians, our Heavenly Father, we have disobeyed him and we have rebelled against him. And in that same psalm, David has a prayer. He says, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He'd wandered from the way he'd backslidden in a way that it's possible for people to do. David never thought for one moment that he would do the things that he did. But the downward path was one step after another, one dark step after another. And it's touched him in the very depth of his being. He's denied all the things he professed, all the things he said he believed. Now he wants God to do a work in him, to create a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit. Do you sometimes pray that, O Lord, cleanse me? Give me that clean heart again, that that blessed heart. And uh, renew my spirit that I may want, want to serve you with all my heart. You see, it's no wonder that we have exhortations in the scriptures to guard our heart. The Proverbs say, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We guard our heart, you know, we, we perhaps are careful what we do in certain things and the way we behave outwardly, but, but what about our hearts? Do we guard them? He goes on, keep, uh, Proverbs go on, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful, th- give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. And you see, it's all guarding the heart. It's those other things that happen there because the heart hasn't been guarded. And uh, the psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, remembering God's statutes and commands and laws and truths, the glory of the gospel is a great safeguard against sin. When we're experiencing temptation, it's often the case that the truth about God in his word has, has been lost sight of. And we're just responding to the situation and following it and we're not guarding our hearts it's so important above all else to guard our hearts because everything you do flows from it if it's that cleansed heart that pure heart which is created then things flow from it if our heart becomes tainted and stained and dark then bad things flow from it and then this pure heart is a a loving heart Again, it's so different from the external religion of the Pharisees. They were self-righteous. They were proud. Jesus described them in one of his parables as those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. But the reality is that, that when God purifies our hearts, when he cleanses our hearts, he fills our hearts with his love, love for him and love for one another. And uh, there's a constant refrain, isn't there? A constant exhortation in the scriptures to, to love one another. Indeed, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But Peter, as he's writing in his first letter to Christians who are experiencing persecution, says this, 
now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Sincere love. Deep love. It's not just a matter of saying it. It's of actually feeling it. Of experiencing it. A love for our fellow Christians. You think of these Christians in in the first century. uh, Particularly under the persecution that came through Nero. And uh, how many of them lost their lives and so terribly treated. And Peter's saying, love one another deeply from the heart. And it's a challenge to us. Is, is, Is there anyone a fellow Christian whom we love deeply from the heart. Uh, we have the, the strongest desires for their well-being. We, we're willing to do anything for them that will encourage them and help them. And he's saying that's something that should characterize all of us as God's people. But you see, again, it's, it's from the heart that these things come. It isn't just simply a matter of saying it. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, he isn't telling them this is what you've got to be. He's saying this is what you are if you are a Christian. Your heart has been purified. You've been given that new heart and that new spirit. And you want to keep it clean and right and pure as only God knows. Do you know something of that? Do you recognize the importance of your heart? It's been purified by God. And you want to keep it pure because that's a, a blessed experience. Because he goes on to say that those who are peacemakers are blessed uh, because they will see God. What a wonderful thing is it to see God. Uh, the beatific vision, the direct knowledge of God enjoyed by the blessed in heaven. That's what they know. They see God. They're not just thinking about him at a distance, learning about him through his word, being taught by his spirit, but they see him. There's that direct vision of the living God. Uh, Some of our own fellowship are now there in that very place, and they see God. What a blessing that is. And there's a sense in which in this life we are aware of God, we see him. Thou, O God, seest me. We're living consciously in his presence. When we have an impure heart, we lose sight of God. We lose that sense of his presence, of the fact that we belong to him, and impurity comes in. You think of David, and and he lost all joy in God's salvation. Restore to me, he says, the joy of your salvation. He'd lost it because of his sin. So even in this life, there's not that sense of seeing God, being aware of him when sin enters in. But, but when we're born again of God's spirit, we, we catch a glimpse of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Because no one in this world has seen God. Remember Moses, as he's meeting with God on Mount Sinai, says to God, now show me your glory. 
And uh, the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Amazing fellowship was experienced by Moses on that mountain. When he came down, his face shone. And the people couldn't cope with the radiance of his face because he'd been in the presence of God, but he hadn't seen God. Because no one can see him and live. And yet, there has been, hasn't there, a revelation of, of God in this world, in the coming of his Son into this world. John, in his Gospel, in the first chapter, says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is at the Father's side he has made him known. Thomas said, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. And uh, Thomas, uh, Jesus says to him, Thomas, have I been so long with you and you do not know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. What is God like? Well, he's like the Lord Jesus Christ. There's been this wonderful revelation of God. And, uh, but we still haven't seen God in the sense of that direct vision of him. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see, we sang it at Christmas. But then, in heaven, we shall see him. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We shall see him. When John wrote to, in his first letter, he spoke of the greatness of God's love that had been lavished on us, that we're children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. And then he says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God. But what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And then he says, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies themselves. You see the link again with that purity, just as he is pure. And when a believer closes their eyes in death, they wake up in the immediate presence of God. They're there, absent from the body, but present with the Lord, and they see him in all his glory. What a blessing. There's no blessing like that, is there? We catch glimpses of him in this life, and those are wonderful times. Times when we become, are aware of God and aware of his love and grace to us in Jesus Christ. But then we shall see him as he is. As we sang earlier, there is a way for man to rise to that sublime abode. An offering, a sacrifice, a Holy Spirit's energies, an advocate with God. These, these prepare us for the sight of seeing God. What a blessing that is, that one day we shall see him as he is. There are lovely pictures, aren't there, in, in the scriptures, in the New Testament especially, of, of heaven. Uh, we don't have lots of details, but we have enough to know that it's a wonderful place to be in. You think of God's wonderful grace to John, the last surviving apostle, uh, in exile on the island of Patmos, suffering for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, seeing all kinds of challenges for the Christians and the churches, knowing that his life is drawing to an end. And 
And he has a revelation of Jesus Christ and a revelation of that holy city, that new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, from the presence of God. And in Revelation 22, he says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And he says, The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in that city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no night, no more night. They will not need the lamp, the light of a lamp, or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Jesus prayed the last night that he was with his disciples. Father, I want those you have given me to be where I am, that they might behold my glory. Isn't a wonderful thing? What a blessed thing it is. And Jesus says it belongs to those who've, who've known this great change of heart. Uh, God has cleansed our hearts uh, by his word and by his spirit. And uh, we seek to guard those hearts and to live for him and to be conscious of his presence now, but, but knowing also that one day we shall see him as he is. And when we see him, we shall be like him. The transforming power of that vision of God. And We pray, don't we, Lord, give me a pure, a pure heart and so sustain me by your grace. But one day I shall see you face to face. I shall see you as you are and shall be like you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Amen.